For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn. Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group will be your guide for straight talk and honest answers about living the life you deserve in retirement. So So prepare prepare to to be be empowered. Now, here are your show me the money hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shade. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd at Floyd Financial Group. Randy is off this week, so Jake, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for asking. Certainly glad to hear that, Jake. I hope everybody else is doing well and I hope you had a great holiday, Jake. I mean, Thanksgiving is behind us now. We're smack dab in the holiday season. Did you give thanks for everything you should have, Jeff? Absolutely. I don't know how many people do this, but I always give thanks for so many blessings that I have. But I will say I give thanks for the opportunity to be able to do these radio shows and to talk to all the fine people here at Springfield and to educate and inform them because I think there really is a void out there for this sort of information. So I'm thankful for that. But most importantly, I'm thankful for all the blessings that I have in life. Never let those be neglected. Absolutely. I agree. So with that being said, Jake, we've got a full show lined up for us today. Let's start off with some current events. I understand that uh, Black Friday was a pretty good Black Friday this year. Well, it turns out people have not lost their credit cards just yet. <laughs> not um, yet. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think people are, <laughs> you know, still spending like there's no tomorrow. Um, we have seen a pretty major shift over the last three years away from the midnight opening of Best Buy type situation to more online shopping. What's turned into Cyber Weekend instead of Cyber Monday, and all right. the, those types of sales have kind of gotten blended together. Overall sales, I think, were up like seven and a half percent. But online sales over that weekend were up like 54% over that last year. absolutely amazing. Have you ever gotten up really early to go shopping on Black Friday? I have. My wife's family kind of has a tradition of shopping on Black Friday and, and you know, what turned into late Thanksgiving night there for a few years. Wow. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, I am not a big line person. I don't oh, like yeah. waiting in line. <laughs> My wife says I have line anxiety because, <laughs> and I may be alone here, but, you know, if you go through the drive-through at McDonald's and they have the two drive-through windows. Yeah. But then you merge out of that into one line. That is one of the most stressful situations for me. <laughs> really? It's trying to figure out, you know, who's supposed to go when, who got done with their order first, trying to keep the McDonald's order straight. Almost everybody in the drive-through is on their cell phone. Nobody knows what's going on. And so that's one of my little <laughs> pet peeves, you know, lines in general. Or if you're at the grocery <laughs> store and there's five lines, it's really busy, like on Black Friday or something like that, and you're at Walmart or wherever somebody comes and opens a new line and the people from behind you run over there to get in front of you in the line, (laughs) even though you've been waiting longer. Right. That just really chaps my hide, if I'm going to be honest. I'm glad to hear you say that because I thought I was the only one that had that sort of anxiety, Jake. The same with me with the lines. And even at the supermarket, I go to the U-Scan most of the time and I go really, really fast and I'm looking around at the other people at the U-Scan and it becomes a competition. Who can do this faster? I know what it is, but I've been impatient with that my entire life. You are not alone there, my friend, and I think a lot of people feel that way. Speaking of Black Friday, did you know that Amazon has said that they're now going to be selling a brand new item online? Can you guess what it is? 
I can guess what it is because I've seen the article. Amazon is going to be launching uh, vehicle sales wow. on, on Amazon. And so my first thought there is one of the things I've been saying for a while now is that car sales are going to get overcooked where cars, used cars have been on a tear where, you know, a used car is worth a ton of money. You know, I was, I was at a, a driving by a dealership the other day and, and there was like a 2016 Honda Fit. Yeah. You know, one of those little tiny yep. hybrid Hondas. And it was like 13 grand. Hmm. I don't think they were 13 grand new in 2016. No. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> you know, like, or close it's to like, it. <laughs> how are we, how is that possible? But what this really says to me is that car dealerships must be hurting. And potentially the old way of selling cars is starting to give way because millennials don't enjoy the car shopping opportunity. They don't like the haggling. And so I think we're starting to see the shift to here's the price, buy it or don't buy it. And I think we're going to see more of that because as baby boomers phase out of being the primary spending and millennials start to phase into that, I think you're going to see less and less haggling. Yeah, well, Hyundai is the first manufacturer that's partnering with Amazon in order to be able to do this. And my first thought is all you see if you're going online is just pictures. And really, it's a whole different thing when you're in the car, you're riding in the car, you've got that tactile feel. I think I would like a little bit more than just pictures when I'm buying a car, but maybe the new generation is just a little bit different. So I'm interested to see how that's going to play out. I understand that Carvana wasn't that happy when they heard that Amazon was going to be doing that. I think their stock price dropped a little bit. We'll see if the other car dealers uh, do uh, fall into line there behind Hyundai. The only thing is, unlike other things that you buy from Amazon, if you don't like your Hyundai, I don't believe you can take it back to Whole Foods and just leave it for a refund, can you? Yeah, I think Whole Foods or uh, around <laughs> yeah. here, Kohl's, I know, takes takes returns. Yeah, you just pull it up and throw the cashier the keys. Be like, here. Yeah, there you go. Put this on return for me. <laughs> Send it back. But but this was this was live for Black Friday though, Jeff. So uh, oh, really? I didn't know that. Out there right now, it's live right now. So it has all the all the prices and everything. I'm curious to see if there's if you can haggle the price. I don't think you can. I think these are set in stone type prices, which means if you go to the dealership, at least in the short term, you probably get a better deal because they will have at least some moving room. But as credit dries up, as people spend themselves to the hilt. Mm -hmm. And as they realize when they go buy a car, they're going to have a 9% interest rate or something. I think you're going to see more sellers on Amazon because these car companies are going to have to figure out a way to dump these cars. Right. Amazon has a way of being the place you go to dump the stuff you don't want. Yeah, and I was thinking about how do you pay for this, too. I don't know that there's that many people who walk in with just a wad of cash to pay for a car, or maybe they've got it in their checking account, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in order to pay for a car. I think most of these people do finance things. I'm wondering how that really works as well. I think they're going to have some financing options out here through some of the banks, but Overall, it seems like a big win for Amazon and uh, a big question mark for Hyundai and any other dealerships that decide to do this. All right. Well, this is the trend of the future, I guess. The trend of now is buying cars on Amazon. Another thing in the news, I saw a 60-minute story a couple of weeks ago. Social Security has an overpayment problem. That problem is swollen to around $23 billion. They're overpaying people, I understand, and then asking people to pay back these huge sums of money. That's a huge problem, obviously, for people who are on fixed income. There's a lot of people on Social Security that Social Security is their only actual income besides taking money off their savings or investments. So, I mean, if this is the only income source that you have, 
and all of a sudden they shut it off for however many months because of the overpayments, because a lot of times that's how they go about correcting the situation rather than you writing them a check back. They just don't pay you until the amount is fulfilled. If you're getting 2000 a month and you're 20000 overpaid, then that's 10 months they just won't pay you. The average Social Security recipient you know, lives paycheck to paycheck like a lot of people pre-retirement. There's a lot of people that that's, that's really becoming a problem for, I think. And it'll be interesting to see that dynamic as Social Security gets reworked over the next three, four, or five years, how this part of it plays into it, because they really need to figure out a way to keep this from happening. You know, you just can't afford for your only income source to go away, especially like, let's say this is, you know, your 80-year-old mother who's widowed, and this right. is the only place she has to get money. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty serious problem. So we may even see this become a debate topic as this next uh, election comes up. And you talked about some people owing $20,000. I've heard stories of people owing sixty dollars and $65,000. And as I said, Social Security says, send us a check or we'll stop your checks from coming. Where do people get $65,000 in order to pay this back? Well, the answer is they do not do this. But furthermore, my question is, how did this happen? I mean, did this happen during the pandemic? What was it that caused Social Security to overpay all these people? Do you know? Rampant incompetence. Rampant income. Okay, well, it seems to be the answer for a lot of things these days, Jake. Well, but. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's the only contributing factor, but I would imagine there's a lot of people that work at Social Security where their only job is to make sure that people get paid the correct amount. So, yeah, there's definitely somebody dropping the ball there. And you know, people make mistakes. I'm not beating them up, but at the same time, government institutions have a way of getting away with things that a normal business owner would go under for such as overpaying your clients. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, I, if I ran a business and I undercharged everybody by 50% for a couple of weeks, I'm not going to last very long. The fact that the government can do this, get away with it, and then demand their money back is kind of an interesting situation. Well, Jake, as a result of, let's say, just an honest error, let's say, and you do run a business at this point, let's say that you overpaid a lot of your employees and none of your employees said anything about it. Maybe they assumed it was a bonus or they got a raise or something like that. Could you realistically go to your employees and say, give me the money back or I'm going to stop your checks? I mean, that's the way I think about it. Yeah, I don't think that would go over very well. No. Um, you know, I can I can ask Taylor after after we're done here and see I, what she thinks. I think, I think Taylor. <laughs> I think I know what Taylor's going to say. Uh, not so much here, my friend. I mean, if you overpaid us, that's your problem. And I understand that we owe you the money, but you know, do something different. Find a different way. Maybe reduce what you're paying me by five or ten percent for the next however long it is until I've been able to pay it back. But Really, I don't even think that is a good excuse at all. So check those Social Security checks, and uh, I don't know how you really figure out if you've been paid the proper amount or not, but nevertheless, this is a big problem and one that I certainly hope that none of our listeners have to experience. We're talking with Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Of course, this is Show Me the Money. We're certainly thankful that you have joined us here on this fine Saturday morning. We're here with you every week for your fiscal fitness and your financial education. And once again, as I do every week, Jake, and we're going to talk about this later in the program, I invite people to give us a call here at 417-889-7233 and request their complimentary analysis, their retirement analysis. It's just a friendly conversation between you and Jake or Randy when he's in the office to see if you're on the right path to get you where you need to be to reach your goals in retirement. Once again, no cost, no obligation for this whatsoever. It is a casual conversation. It's a no-tie zone. Nobody's going to sell you anything here at all. 
I sort of call it like almost like a community service in which you have a chance to get your questions answered. Again, to get yours, 417-889-7233. Do it today because slots are filling up. 417-889-7233. Or you can request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, Jake. We'll be right back with more of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for another helping of some more real money talk? Thought so. Now, here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shea. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about what happens to your 401k when you quit your job. And Jake, I think uh, most people have 401ks if they've worked at a reasonable employer. This is a situation that comes up now and again as I've left this job. I have a 401k at the old job. Now, what are my options to uh, move this or even should I move this? So we're going to talk about all that in this particular segment. First of all, if you have an outstanding 401k loan, I mean, that's something to consider, which will affect what you do with your 401k, right? Absolutely. So if you have a 401k loan at retirement, that must be repaid before you retire and before you can move that money out of there. So knowing that, you know, there's there's potentially tax implications there. Let's say you had $400,000 in your 401k and you have, you know, a $25,000 loan. That means when you roll that out of there, you're going to have 375, not 400, but you also also need to be aware that by doing that, you are triggering taxes on that $25,000. And so we want to be careful to make sure we know what we're doing before we move money out of there. And so as we said in this segment, we're going to be talking about the things to kind of keep an eye on. It's easy to roll money out, but sometimes it's harder to see all the consequences of what you're doing. Okay, Jake, so what happens if you just can't afford to pay this 401k loan back? Yeah, if you can't afford to pay it back, again, it's going to be deducted out of the balance whenever you roll that money out. And so before we do anything like roll over a 401k, we're going to want to make sure we get on the phone with the 401k company and make sure that we understand all the potential ramifications of taking the money out. We need to understand how much of that money is after-tax money, how much of it is pre-tax money. We need to understand if there's any loans. We need to understand what you're eligible to roll. A lot of 401ks are totally, uh, you can roll the whole amount uh, once you get to a certain age, but there are some that have restrictions on them. So these are all things that we have to take a look at before we make any decisions to roll money anywhere else. If you have a job uh, in which you've worked that you have a 401k, do you have to roll it out of that 401k? In other words, if I want to keep it there, can I do that? And why would I do that? You can keep it there. There's a few reasons that you might want to do that, depending on what your profession is. So there are certain government workers that have an exemption where they can take money out after the age of 50 if they retired from a government job in law enforcement. And there's a lot of other hurdles you have to meet. But this is just an example. After age 50, you can take money out without having to take a 10% penalty as long as it's still in the plan. So that's that's with a TSP, not a 401k. But a similar setup. There's reasons to leave money in 401k. Uh, there's a similar provision on a lot of 401k plans where you can do the same thing if you retire after the age of 55, but you're not 59 and a half yet. You can take some withdrawals without having to pay the 10% penalty. There's quite a few reasons as to why you might leave money there. Lesser fees is another reason, depending on where you're thinking about moving the money to. 
by and large, it makes sense to roll it out once you are not employed over there anymore, simply because you get a lot more investment options versus in the 401k, you're kind of limited to what they allow you to invest in. Okay, and I want to talk about some of those investment options, but if I'm leaving one job and going to another job that has a 401k, I can certainly roll it into their plan as well, right? You absolutely can, yeah. For the sake of simplicity and just ease of management, you can you can roll money into the new plan. Um, I would say whether or not that makes sense is probably more based on how old you are at the time. If you're 25 and you got a little 401k and you want to roll it into the new one, that probably makes sense. If you're 55 looking to retire at 65, you may want to leave that money out, roll it into an IRA so that you can then have more investment options with that portion of the money. There's so many potential variations of that situation that I hesitate to give any blanket advice, but I do think that it's definitely worth looking at as to whether or not you should move it into your new 401k because if you're starting a new job you would have a zero balance in your 401k at the beginning so a way to boost that balance would be to roll money into that 401k again there's there's a lot of considerations here but you absolutely can move it into your new 401k if you want to and as you said if you do roll it into an ira you have a lot of options that you would not have if you had left it into a 401k is that about right Yeah, so your investment options are much wider, but you do have a few less benefits such as being able to loan on that money and pay yourself back the interest. And there's there's a lot of considerations, but that's what we're here for. When people come in for a consultation, it's usually either due to retirement or some kind of major life situation that's changing, like a change of career. And that's what we're here for. We're here to help answer these questions for your specific situation because over over the radio here, it's hard to uh, it's hard to do that because I don't know everybody's situation. But there's a lot of considerations. But that's what we do is we we kind of look at all these criteria and try to help you make the best decisions possible. So we talked about leaving it in the previous employer's 401k plan. If you're going to a new employer to shift it into their plan, or you could shift it into an IRA, you could also cash it out, right? You could cash it out. Uh, That's usually not the advised way of going about it because you'll owe all the taxes all at once there. You know, if it's a very small amount, that might make sense. But if it's a large amount, usually trying to spread out that tax burden over multiple years is a good idea. Um, also, if you're under 59 and a half, you have to consider the fact that you're going to owe penalty as well. So you absolutely can roll it out, just cash it out, put it in your checking account. That's usually not the right thing to do, but occasionally it does make sense. Okay, so I've left my job that does have the 401k. And as you said, there are a lot of decisions that have to be made here. My question is, how long do you have to make these decisions? Yeah, so you're not really under the gun time-wise. You, you have time to think about it. In fact, I have people that come in and say, hey, you know, I worked at this place 20 years ago and my 401k is still sitting there. You don't really have a have a time constraint on, on when you have to make decisions with a 401k for the most part. You know, it's really more a factor of, you know, are you able to capture as much of the upside of the market and, you know, grow those retirement savings as as well as you might be able to if you had more options? That's usually the decision maker because your safety factor also is limited to basically stocks and bonds in a 401k for the most part. Meaning if you want to have money safe, you can't use anything else like gold or annuities or uh, life insurance or cash or, you know, there's, there's a lot of 401ks where you just don't have that option. Having a safety factor, especially as you're within five years of retirement or entering retirement is an attractive thing for most people because they don't want to worry, have to worry about losing all this money that they've saved their whole life, uh, especially right as they get ready to go in retirement. But I guess the simplest thing that you can do is leave it in the old 401k plan. But I mean, how long does the company allow you as an ex-employee to leave your money in their plan? 
So again, Jeff, I think that um, you know there's no real time frame that you have to move it out of there. So you can leave it uh, as long as you want. Again, I've had people that have left it even in excess of 30 years, and then hmm. we come back to collect it later to roll it into an IRA and kind of formulate a plan. So you can definitely leave it there a long time. They are going to potentially, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but you are a liability to them once you leave because you are not readily available for their HR person to reach out to and that kind of thing. And they still have responsibility for you because you're still in their plan. So they don't really like you leaving their money there way past when you exit for the most part, especially if you're in a smaller plan or a smaller company, it's more problematic for them, but they cannot pressure you. Uh, and in most cases, they will not try to get you to leave. In a lot of cases, it does make sense to move it out so that you can start to formulate your own strategy looking forward for retirement. Jake, is this a common situation when people come in to see you that they do have old 401ks, they just don't know what to do with them? Do most people have that situation or at least a lot of people? You know, I would say uh, most people have rolled out their old 401ks when I see them. I'd say there's probably 30 or 35% of people that still have old 401ks from uh, 10 years ago or something like that. A little bit of both, I guess, Jeff, but I think either way, there's no judgment when you come in here. You know, if you've left it over there for 20 years, just because I think it's a good idea to roll it out doesn't mean that I'm sitting here going, man, how could you leave that money there for so long? That's definitely not not mm -hmm. how it is here. You know, we're just simply going to take stock of the situation and try to give you the very best advice that we can. Well, with so many choices, as you said, Jake, how do you help people make the right choice when they come to you and they say, listen, I've rolled it into an IRA I've got these choices, but I don't know if, I, if I've made the right choices. Is there some sort of process that you go through to vet what these choices are to be sure that we're in the right one? That really is going to depend on where you're at in your life cycle, You know how close you are to retirement, how much you have saved versus how much you're going to need to pull off retirement. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into that. But I think that you know that is the main thing that we focus on here is formulating a strategy that's going to get you where you want to go over the next five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever it may be, and really give you a track to run on so that you can feel good about approaching and following through on retirement. So Jake, I think based on our conversation, I'm willing to bet that a lot of our listeners today have some questions about 401ks and IRAs. If you need answers and request your no cost, no obligation, no judgment, Floyd Financial Group Retirement Review by calling 417-889-7233. Now, when you call, you'll get a friendly voice on the other end of the line, more than likely Ashley, who will gather some basic information from you, then set you up with a conversation with Jake or Randy to create that path towards a successful retirement. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that, when addressed, may help you in your retirement that could last as long as 30 years. Once again, no cost, no obligation. That number to call. Do it today, 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233, or you can request your complimentary consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, Jake. We'll be right back with more of Show Me the Money right after this on 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good. Because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Jake Floyd. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd. In this segment, we're going to be talking about how to calculate your Social Security break-even age. And Jake, that's something I've heard that phrase tossed around a lot is the Social Security break-even age. And to my understanding, it's sort of trying to do a calculation 
as to whether or not you should take it early or full retirement age or age 70 and what your break-even age is. Now, I don't understand this completely. Basically, what is a Social Security break-even age? Well, without question, Jeff, the most common question I get asked is when should I file for Social Security? And it's a much more complicated question than most people realize. Most people view it as a purely mathematical situation. So what they want to know is if I take it at 62 versus 67 or whatever the case may be, how many years does it take for me to get even from that decision? Meaning if there's five years difference there, those five years of payments how long does it take for the larger payment at 67 to make up for that five years of missed income? The answer to that question is roughly 11 years okay. from 62 to 67. Depending on whether we're talking about you know 64 to 70 or 65 to 68 or whatever, that kind of determines what you know how long it takes to get even. But one of the things I find lacking in these calculations usually is they assume that you get no interest on the first five years of payments, you take that money and you never make any money on that money. You don't invest it, you don't put it in a CD, you don't put it in a money market account, nothing. So that's how you get to the 11 years. If you just put it on 5% interest, let's say, so the, the payments that you deferred, as well as the income once, once you turn it on at 67, you know, it takes 18 years then to get even. And that's assuming that you're not spending it once you turn it on at 67. So again, I know it's a little bit confusing, but all I'm saying is it's not as simple as should I turn it on at 62? Should I turn it on at 67? Should I wait till 70? The max calculation always says you should wait till 70 because it's going to assume that you're living to 95 or 100 years old and you will absolutely get more money out. The problem is, is if you assume no opportunity cost and you assume no inflation adjustment, meaning you're you're assuming that you're going to be healthy enough to spend that money when you're 85 years old. You're assuming that you're going to be around to collect that money past 70, right? We don't right. know what a day will bring. There's a lot of things that go into answering that question, but I will say that I usually default to taking it earlier rather than later because that puts the most control in my client's hands over their retirement. If I am delaying Social Security trying to maximize that benefit what most people have to do if they have not saved and you know a huge amount of money is they have to spend their retirement savings down to make up for that lack of income while they're waiting so i think that's backwards i think what we should be doing is turning on social security to keep me from having to spend as much of my assets down as possible because that puts more control in the client's hands because you have more money more discretion over how much you're spending versus just a benefit that you may or may not live long enough to collect the maximum amount on. Well, this is a bit confusing to me. So, I mean, does it really matter your break-even age for most people? I don't think that it matters other than it's a useful tool in helping you decide because there's a lot of people that I talk to that are like, hey, you know, when I was 40, I didn't think I was going to live to be 65, but here I am now, 65, and a lot of people are like, I don't think I'm going to live to see 75. The reality is most people outlive their expectations, right? And so we have to mm -hmm. understand the ramifications of both sides. Meaning if we take Social Security early, what is that going to do to us later? If we choose to take it later, you know, we need to understand that we may not live long enough to make that pay, right? 
there's some other considerations that we've talked about on the show before uh, when it comes to Congress. And if they decide to cut Social Security benefits at some point, what that may look like. Will people that have already filed be grandfathered in? You know, if that's the case, meaning they would not cut Social Security benefits for people that filed, let's say, 10 years ago, but they will cut it on people that have not yet filed then that might be a reason to turn it on. You know, that shifts the equation a little bit. If I want to future-proof myself a little bit, maybe I turn on Social Security a little bit earlier. A lot of this is going to come down to, you know, how much you've saved, how badly you need the Social Security, what age you retire at, are you even eligible to turn it on at all yet? You know, are you 60, 61? How all that comes together usually determines when we file for Social Security more than simply what gets me the most benefit. And that's another thing I hear once in a while. Well, I'm going to turn it on at 62 because, you know, when I'm 70, 75, it's not going to be there. I don't think Social Security is going to go away completely. Now, for someone my age who is already Social Security eligible, it's a different story than someone your age. But, Jake, do you really think that Social Security is not going to be there when you get old enough to collect it? Social Security or something like it will be around. I think it's it's very plausible that they may rework the whole system and call it something else because I think the connotation, the mental picture you get as you think about Social Security, especially if they have to cut it to some extent, is going to kind of regress and Congress might say, hey, let's just scrap the whole thing and put something else in that looks similar and let's make the benefits look similar, but let's call it the new retirement plan of the Mm -hmm. United States or whatever, you know? And so I think it will shift. I think artificial intelligence and the laying off of, of certain menial labor type jobs will start to drag on that as well. And they'll have to incorporate more benefits for people like that. So the short answer, Jeff is no, I don't think social security is going away. I think it may get a slight cut to people already filing or about to file. I think people like me are going to have to be 85 years old to get it or something like that. That's crazy. Um, you know, I think I think that's the easiest thing to do. I think if you are a high income earner, I think it's likely that Congress will allow taxation for Social Security much higher than $180,000 a year or whatever the number is right now today. Meaning that if you make over $160,000 in 2023, you don't pay Social Security tax above that number. I think it's likely that Congress will either raise that limit significantly so that, you know, Elon Musk, when he makes money, is going to have to pay Social Security on millions and millions and millions of dollars because that would start to fix the problem a lot more quickly or some combination of, of all those things. They may start means testing Social Security. But I do think that Social Security will be around for the vast majority of people. I don't want people to take away from this that Social Security is going away. I think there are a lot of people that think that's going to happen. And I agree that it's definitely bankrupt, right? <laughs> so oh, yeah, in, absolutely. In 2034, I think, is the year that it goes negative. Mm-hmm. I think over the next four or five years, there's going to be a lot of talk about it. But I don't think they're just going to cut it off. They will either rework it, adjust it, you know, whatever they have to do to keep it there. But they will have to pay the piper at some point because it is massively underfunded. Yeah, and I think that Medicare has an equal problem too, right? You know, I think that's more of a function of our healthcare cost in our system than it is an underfunding of Medicare and Medicaid, in my opinion. Like I had a client the other day who had had a heart attack, and he said that he spent $122,000 was the bill for his heart attack. I think five or six years ago, that number was more like fifty. 
that's obviously a humongous increase. You know, I don't know where that fits into the mm-hmm. to the Fed's inflation numbers because that's a lot more than the 13% they're saying that prices are up over the last two years. But I think the cost of healthcare is really what's factoring into that more than the actual benefits and money available. Uh, while I do think there are some issues there, I think it's really more the skyrocketing cost of healthcare thanks to President Obama. Well, you know, with the heart attack costing $122,000, I just, you know, that's not within my ability to afford that. So I'm going to just choose not to have a heart attack, I guess, here. We're talking with Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group, and we're talking about the state of Social Security. Jake, let's talk about some of the reasons why you may want to wait till at least full retirement age or the latest you can take it, which is age 70. What are some of those reasons? I would think chief among them, at least when I think about it, is spousal benefits. Yeah, so there's spousal benefits. In in my opinion, Jeff, I think the biggest reason to wait until 70 is if you're still working and you just simply don't need the income. Let's say that you have a relatively high-earning job. You're making eighty dollars or $100,000 a year. You know, I have a client that comes to mind that uh, is a professor. He's working. He's going to continue to work. Uh, he doesn't see himself slowing down at all. He doesn't need the money. Unless you have millions and millions of dollars in the bank, it might make sense to hedge your bet, allow Social Security to roll up until 70. That way, you kind of have a backstop there. But again, it requires a fairly specific situation to want to wait on Social Security, in my opinion. But there are a few reasons to do it. Like you said, protecting your spouse is one of them. If you are still working, it's just simply going to add insult to injury on your taxes and you don't need the money. That could be a reason to wait as well. And taking it at 62, there are some very good reasons to take that at 62. I mean, I would imagine chief among them is just because you need the money. But if you do take it at 62, there are some limits on the outside money that you can make, right? Right. So if we take it before full retirement age, which for the vast majority of people that have not elected yet is 67. There's a few people, I think, still at 66 and 8, 66 and 10. But for most people, it's 67. If you take it before that, you are subject to limitations on how much you can earn, which is around $20,500 right now. Meaning if you earn more than that, you have to pay back into Social Security $1 for every two that you're paid. And so the problem with that is you could be in a situation where if you make $40,000 a year where you're paying back the lion's share of your Social Security in some cases. That may or may not make sense depending on your situation. But usually once you retire, in my opinion, there's very little reason to not go ahead and file it. Again, we need to make sure we're taking everything into account. We need to make sure that we're looking at the picture as a whole. But most people, once they retire it makes sense to at least look at starting to file so that you're not, again, spending your retirement assets down trying to maximize Social Security. Let's say that I do take Social Security my full retirement age, which would be 67, but I decide that, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm going, you know, I really don't need the money. I think I'll wait until 70. How much more do you get in Social Security between your full retirement age if it's 67 and 70? So you get an 8% simple interest. Simple uh, interest. Is what you get. Yeah, that's a pretty big number, but it also, you're not getting three years worth of payments there, and you're losing all the earnings on those three years of payments, meaning if you don't need the money anyway, you could take the benefit and then just invest the money. Three years of those payments could be a substantial amount of money. It could be $100,000, depending on what your benefit is and that kind of thing. If you had that money on the side and you you pay taxes on it, but then you go ahead and invest it, 
that really stretches out your break-even age between 67 and 70. You know, you'll have to be probably 85 years old before you break even, which is, you know, fairly substantial. That's a long time. Will you live to be 85? Probably. There's a lot of people that won't live to be 85. It's important to enjoy the money while you can, and not everything is a solely monetary decision. It's not always about getting the very most, regardless of how long I have to wait. Sometimes having the bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, so right. to speak. Well, I always thought that Social Security was a basically a simple decision at 62, full retirement age is 67, but based on our conversation today, Jake, it certainly is not. If our listeners do have questions about Social Security, their individual situation, once again, get in, sit down with Randy there or Jake at Floyd Financial Group and talk about it. 417-889-7233 is the number to call. No cost, no obligation for that consultation. It's 417-889-7233. Once again, it's not going to cost you a dime. So I encourage you to do it this weekend. Leave your information and Ashley will get back to you on Monday and set up an appointment for you to come in and talk with Randy or Jake. 417-889-7233. You can also request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, Jake. We'll be right back with more of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSTF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more straight talk and honest answers with Jake Floyd and Jeff Shade. Welcome back to the fourth segment of Floyd Financial Group's Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about what does it look like when you come in to see us for your first consultation? And Jake, I talk about that every week, probably at least four times during each show is when you call 417-889-7233. You make that appointment, you come in, you greet Ashley. She takes care of you out there in the front with uh, your beverage of choice, makes you comfortable and so forth. You come on in. Primarily, what I want to talk about is this first meeting. I know that basically it is a five-step process and people for some reason are still apprehensive about doing this. I'm not sure why, Jake. Maybe they think I'm going to get in there and you're going to sell me something or put the thumb down on me. It's going to be a hard sell. Couldn't be further from the truth, right? Absolutely, Jeff. And I think that there's a lot of people that have a bad taste in their mouth from previous advisors that they may have talked to. And they're just worried that when they come in, we're just going to try to sell them something, try to get them to do something that they don't want to do. And that's really not at all the way things go. You know, when people come in to see us the first time, the first thing we're going to do is really get to know each other. I'm going to tell you about us. You know, I'm going to ask a few nosy questions and just try to get to understand your situation and what's important to you. What do you want to accomplish? You know, not everything is monetary when it comes to retirement. Is it important to you to leave a big inheritance to your children? Is it important to you to leave money to charity? Is it important to you that you spend every last dime and your last check bounces? <laughs> yeah. You know, we have people all over that spectrum. And so if I don't understand what you want, it's very difficult for me to formulate a plan to get you there. So the first thing we have to do is determine what do you want retirement to look like? What is your ideal retirement? Do you want to sit on your back porch and drink coffee and watch the grass grow? Or do you want to travel the world and take cruises and jump out of airplanes? Or what is it that you want to do? Um, there's there's all kinds of different ideas of what people like in retirement. You know, I'd say here in the last bastion of Sandy, I think there's a lot of people that have a hard time thinking about someplace they'd rather go than here because yeah. of the political situation and other reasons. 
you know, whatever that looks like for you, we want to help you get there. You know, I have people that say, hey, you know, I want to go buy an RV and I want to spend the next 10 years seeing every nook and cranny of the United States of America. But once we understand what makes you tick, what, what do you want to do? What's important to you? Then we can go about the money part of it and say, okay, here's how much we have saved. Here's how much we have for income and retirement. Here's how we get you to that retirement. But a lot of the questions that we'll talk about in the first meeting are not around money. No, I'm certainly not going to say, hey, move this money over here. That's just not just not how we do it. So I think, you know, we, we have a, a good conversation. If at the end of that first conversation, you feel like it was a good conversation and you want me to do a little bit of planning work for you. We usually set up one more meeting after the first meeting. And in between those two meetings, I go to the drawing board and I say, okay, what's the best way to get these people to where they want to go? What financial products, what type of strategy, how much risk are these people comfortable taking? How much risk do these people need to take? If you've saved enough money, you may not need to take any risk uh, or very little risk. And so We'll take all those considerations and we'll say, okay, you know, here's here's the plan. Here's where we might put some of this money to get you closer to those goals, depending on where you're at. Or you may be at retirement stage. And if that's the case, we'll say, hey, we know you want to retire in a few months. Here's what we think we should do to get you there. At the end of the second meeting, I'm still not going to say, hey, I think we ought to do this. At the end of the second meeting, I'm going to have given you a lot to chew on. And so usually we want people to go home, think about it, pray about it. Again, I am not ever going to say, hey, are you going to do this or not? You know, that's not the way we operate. If you come in for that first appointment, we'll gather some info. If you enjoy that conversation, we'll schedule one more appointment for me to show you how things work. You can have all the time you want to think about it. I'm not in a hurry. If it's a good plan today, it'll be a good plan tomorrow. It's our job to kind of keep an eye on things and to just try to help give you solid advice. And I know that you've been in a lot of these initial meetings with your dad, Randy, there at Floyd Financial Group. And Randy likes to talk. Randy's been around for a long period of time. When people come in there, I mean, have these conversations ever gone into for like a half hour? Oh, we had the Floyd General Store down in Bradleyville. Oh, your Uncle Bob, yes, I remember him. He had a green tractor and all that sort of thing. Really, the beginning conversation is not as much about money as it is just getting to know you. That literally does happen, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And uh, what's kind of funny is, you know, my meetings tend to go longer than Randy's meetings do. And a lot of that's just because I like to talk, I think, at least as much as he does or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really do like to get to understand people, you know, being younger in this business. So I am 39 years old. You know, most financial advisors are 65 or yeah. older looking, looking for the exit. If I'm going to bring on a client that I'm going to be dealing with, maybe for your entire retirement, you know, I might have a client for 20 or 30 years potentially. So because of that, I want to make sure that it's a good fit for both of us, meaning you enjoy coming to see me. I enjoy when you come in and we're not always butting heads on topics, making sure that we have a good understanding of what you can expect out of our relationship. If it's not a good fit, I am not going to try to force that situation. I would rather just make a new friend and send you on your way. In fact, I had had a guy a couple of weeks ago that came in and we had our first consultation. I went back to the drawing board. He came in for a second meeting. I said, you know, I don't think I can help you enough to justify what I cost. And so I think you should just leave it the way it is. Yeah, That's a very rare thing, honestly, in the financial practice because most advisors are just looking out for themselves. And mm-hmm. so here I really want to bring value to a situation before I bring on a client 
that's the biggest reward for me. And I want to concentrate on that bringing value to someone's individual situation. I think a lot of people may not call this number 417-889-7233 because they think, well, you know, I've got a couple hundred thousand dollars by the time I have these folks manage it and it's just not going to be worth it. So let me put you on the spot. I mean, how much does it cost? How do you charge? How does that all work? We really try to keep costs as low as as we possibly can. In fact, it's been a little bit difficult over the last few years because of inflation and pay having to go up for employees and things like that. Most of the people listening to this are going to fall into the 1% category. We usually charge about 1% to manage money. And that's on ongoing money that's either in you know stocks, bonds, or invested in the market. There's other products and things that we use sometimes that I don't make anything ongoingly. There's no additional fees attached to those things. You will understand exactly how all that works. The reason why I don't want to nail it totally down, Jeff, is just because it depends on the individual person and their plan as far as exactly what they're going to be paying in fees. But understand that we have set up this practice to cut out as many of the middlemen as possible to keep the cost as low as possible. So one thing that makes us a little bit different here is we make all the investment decisions in-house. A lot of other advisors or advisory firms, the way their model works is you go see the advisor, the advisor gathers the money, and then he ships it out for somebody else to manage it. Right. Well, the problem with that is you're adding layers of people getting paid. They're not going to manage it for free. And so where on the surface you may be paying your advisor 1.25 or 1.35, but he's farming it out to, let's say, a mutual fund company paying 0.7, 0.8%. So now you're over 2%. It's harder to make money the higher that fee gets. And so ultimately we want to we want to have the most reasonable fee that we can possibly have and keep it lower. You know, if I charge you less now, guess what you have more of later? Right. You got more, more of your money. Exactly. Which means what? My fee goes up later, right? Because mm-hmm. it's just a simple percentage of what we're managing. And so it's good for both of us that I charge less now. That's what I want in all of our dealings with clients is to have a mutual win-win situation where you don't have to question my motives because I'm a fiduciary and the only thing I want to do is put you in a better position. And so I want to get rewarded when you get rewarded. And I think that's a very important point that you made there, Jake, is that you're dealing directly, if we make an analogy, dealing directly, so to speak, with the manufacturer, is that there isn't another level of people in there. So 1% basically on average is what you would charge for what we call assets under management. But there's this study I've heard of called the Dow Bar Study, which talks about how much more you will make if you're using an advisor versus not an advisor. Can you shed some light on that? Yeah, so Jeff, I think the study you're referring to shows that 2 to 2.5% is roughly what you can expect more by using an advisor versus not using an advisor. And that's across the whole industry. But the goal is certainly to earn you more money than you would have earned by not having an advisor, right? So if you pay me 1%, the goal is to have you make more than 1% extra, right? To more than cover that as well as make you some more money, but also be here to answer all the questions that you have in retirement. Make sure you understand how to get your income turned on. And if you need anything in here, we're here to hold your hand the whole time through it. And so service is is another part of what we do here where I want you to feel comfortable reaching out to us and talking to us and If you have major purchases you want to make and that kind of thing, we can help you figure out the most efficient way to do that from a tax perspective or from a uh, just where to take income from. All those types of things are all kind of included, meaning anytime you call us, there's no charge for meetings or anything like that. Usually we'll have 90-day reviews 
when you first sign up just to make sure that everything's going smoothly. Make sure, especially if you're just getting into retirement, make sure that your income feels right. All those types of things are part of the deal. Once again, we're talking with Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group, and we're talking about what that initial conversation looks like. If you'd like to get in and sit down with Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group, get your complimentary consultation, call 417-889-7233. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime. It is a no-tie zone, very, very casual conversation, sort of a community service, a chance for you to get your questions answered. 417-889-7233, or you can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Well, Jake, we just get started and we run out of time. So for Jake Floyd, I'm Jeff Shade. Thank you so much for joining us, including us in your weekend plans. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. The information provided in the preceding program is for educational purposes only and are not intended as investment advice for any individual or entity. All information contained herein believed to be from reliable sources, however, we make no representations as to its completeness or accuracy. The opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not constitute financial, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your financial professional before executing any financial strategy. Financial planning offered through Floyd Financial Group, LLC, an investment advisor registered in the state of Missouri.